0: Well, again, I want to say to you it's a blessing to start 2003 gathered with the saints. The only thing better would be as if we had gathered at 12.01 a.m. this morning, but we might have had a lighter crew than we have even now. <clears throat> we gather together for the express purpose of worshiping our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. You know, he's called our great God and Savior in Titus chapter 2, verse 13. This morning, we will turn our attention to our worshiping of God to do so through his word. I wish to draw your attention to a text of scripture that I pray will spur us on, not only this week, but also uh, throughout this year. uh, A text that we might fall back on, as it were, to consider our role as a church, to be the church that God desires us to be. And so, if you are not already there, I would have you turn to the second gospel, to Mark chapter 10. And as you turn there, let me remind you that we recently finished up a series in the letter to Jude and uh, considering, then considered some of the aspects of the advent of Christ. Next week, we'll begin a new series in 2 Peter. We're going to squeeze 2 Peter in before we do our series on Rome, uh, Romans, but 2 Peter, in a way, expounds and adds to some dimensions that Jude did not cover, and so it just seems an appropriate thing to accomplish. And then we will, by late spring, be in the book of Romans, and I suppose we'll be there for quite a while. So hang on to your hats. Now please look at me with me at uh, Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 35. I invite you to stand in respect of the word of God. Follow along as I read verses 35 through 45. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Verse 39, they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give. But it is for those for those for whom it has been prepared. Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John, verse 42. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. May God add his blessing as we study his word today. You may be seated. It was June of 1972 about three years after the arrival of a new pastor, a man who had devoted himself to the intense study and proclamation of the word of God, that a relatively small group, a relatively um, small and unknown church began to be recognized both locally and nationally as it quickly grew to 900 members. Because of what was taking place in this church, Lowell Sander, a reporter for Moody Monthly at the time, came to witness what was taking place. One of the first things that Sander commented on while visiting this church was that the congregation that it was a congregation where, quote, the people do the work, unquote. Upon interviewing then the 32-year-old pastor Sander was told quote as i see people as the people see needs in a particular area they come to us with suggestions as to what should be done and i say to them go to it unquote the congregation became known as the church of 900 ministers sander wrote 800 to 900 people are actively engaged in some form of weekday activity that strengthens and enlargens the ministry of the church, unquote. In commenting further about this particular church, Ian Murray explains, quote, numbers of conversions took place through local witness in such places as McDonald's where members held a Bible study. Hunger for instruction led to a Logos study center at the church on Monday and Tuesday evenings where other men were the speakers. And 500 attended the Wednesday prayer meeting in the new church auditorium which had opened that same year, unquote. A church of 900 ministers, a church of 900 servants of the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. And just what inspired these 900 servants to be so active, to be so fervent, to be so engaged in their personal pursuit of a ministry within their local body, it began largely because there was a pastor who had been devoted to having the congregation learn the truth, love the truth, and then live out that truth. This pastor was committed to having the people know the word of God so that they could lovingly do the word of God. The preacher of the the gospel said to the reporter, quote, to study and to teach is the beginning, middle, and the end of my responsibility, unquote. Sander went on to say that this pastor, quote, spends five to six hours a day, four or five days a week with his Bible and his books, Although his office door is always open to the parishioners and he has no secretary near to hand uh, at hand to protect him, his people respect his need for uninterrupted study, unquote. Why? Why did this congregation of servant ministers want this from and for their pastor? Because, in the words of one of the elders of this church, the desire was, quote, every Christian would be like a battery that joins with other believers and corporately increases the church's output, unquote. In like manner, Charles Spurgeon said something similar a hundred years earlier. He said this, great things are done by the Holy Spirit when a whole church is aroused to sacred energy, Then there are hundreds of testimonies instead of one, and these strengthen each other," unquote. If you have not already guessed it or figured it out, the pastor of this account is John MacArthur, and the congregation of 900 ministers, which has obviously grown since this particular time, is Grace Community Church of Sun Valley, California. And I share this brief history with you Uh, of, of the early days of grace community because it reminds us of two important truths that are necessary if we would be all that we as a church are supposed to be as we seek to reach northwest arkansas and the first truth is that we must be a people who know the word of god i know you said i got up on the first day of the year to hear you tell me that Yes, we need to be reminded, we need to know the word of God. And regardless of how little you know it or how well you know it, you need to know it more. The second truth, related to the first truth of we need to know the word of God, is that we must be a people who both love and do the word of God. It is not enough to know you must be a, in the words of James, what? A doer of the word. You can go ahead and... Put that one up there for me. Thank you. We need to be known, beloved, as a church who both love and do the word of God. We need to be a church of 900 ministers, or we can start with the 50 or 60 that we have here and work our way up. To be such a church of 50 or 100 or 1,000 ministers is incumbent upon just one thing that I wish to address with you this morning, this first Sunday of a new year, the year 2023 of our Lord. Just one thing, the issue is that following Jesus means that you are a servant to his church. Following Jesus means you are a servant to him and to his church. And this will lead to a question, and the question is this. Will you be such a servant to Christ and his church in 2023? Are you intent on both learning and practicing the truths that you receive from the pulpit week after week? Will you allow what you learn in your personal Bible study and corporate Bible study to ooze beyond the walls of this church to reach a community that needs to know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we might also demonstrate with our proclamation, demonstrations, manifestations, live, be living illustrations of God's grace, of God's truth, of God's kindness Beloved, such a life is in accordance with his great mercy. Such a life is in accordance with the benevolence that we have received from the God of heaven himself who came to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself lived in the power of the spirit of God. Beloved, in similar manner, if we have come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you proclaim him today, then you must know that the Father has sent you and sent us to live out the life of his son not in our own strength because we would fail but in the power of the spirit of God who indwells in us this morning then as we begin a new year I set to desire I desire to set the tone for us for this coming year if we are a people we need to be a people driven to manifest the love of God to manifest our love for his word and and live it out in such a way that people see that this church is a servant driven church Now, there's all sorts of polity out there for churches, all sorts of ways to do government. And sometimes you'll hear a phrase that uh, there's an elder-driven church. We don't want to be an elder-driven church. We are an elder-led church, but we're not an elder-driven church. The work of ministry, as I will show you in a moment, is not done at just one level amongst a certain group of people. You have not selected out a group of people, elders and deacons, to do the work of ministry. That's unbiblical. The work of ministry, as we'll see in a moment, is called, is incumbent upon each and every member serving his or her part. The life of a church is found in its members at work in one another's lives. If we are not at work in one another's lives, we are not fulfilling our responsibility. We need to drive that. The elders lead that. The deacons will help support that. But it's all under the leadership of Christ himself. And so there's a question that I would have you answer individually. Specifically, I'd have you answer this question by asking yourself, am I a servant minister of my Lord Jesus Christ serving his church? Am I a servant minister of my Lord Jesus Christ serving his people? Do I serve Jesus as I ought to? Am I doing it the way he wants me to and not what What I want to do is am I doing it as a matter of convenience to me or am I doing it out of a sense of sacrifice to the Lord? Do I engage Jesus by engaging as he has directed the body of believers that he himself saved? He saved you and put you into his body, the body of Christ. Now, do we engage him? uh, uh, excuse me, do we, do we do this? Do we engage as we ought to? And to do this, I want to have us look at this text of Scripture in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45, where we find the disciples actually wrestling with this. It, an amazing scene. They're wrestling with what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because some had taken, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm something. And I should be recognized as something, And I want Jesus to recognize me as something. And I want Jesus to appoint me as something. That's kind of the mindset that's going on as you heard me read this particular passage. Some were thinking it it meant great prestige. And it was a life that meant I could be served by following Jesus Christ. Jesus is about to correct such thinking. Whatever we might learn from this passage, I do believe that we are presented with the truth that Jesus, who was and is undoubtedly, is he not, the greatest leader of all time, was what we must call a servant leader. He led by what? Serving. Jesus led by serving. It has been said that the symbol of Rome, of Rome's leadership, was the sword. And the symbol of the the Greek's leadership was the pen. And that the symbol of today's secular leadership is in the position. However, the symbol of Christ's leadership, I submit to you, consists of a towel and a basin by which he washed the disciples' feet. From John chapter 13. It also includes a crown of thorns indicating sacrifice. So I submit to you that our text this morning will be broken down into three parts, beginning with the problem in verse 42, a paradox in the first part of verse 43, and then the plan at the end in verses 43 through 45. So let's begin by noting first the problem in verse 42, the problem. In our text, we find Jesus presenting the disciples, identifying what the problem is. That problem being the tendency for people to want power and position and prestige and recognition and acknowledgement as the end of what it means to be a leader. And Jesus is going to address that. He says, calling them to himself. I love this. Jesus, the two had spoken to him, James and John, and the others had kind of been in the background. And now Jesus says, come on, I want you all to come here. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. And Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. I wonder what James and John are thinking. We just asked that if we could sit at the right and left side of your throne so that we could lord it over people. And now he compares that to being like what? Gentiles. Now, if you're a Jewish man that doesn't go very well, right? You know that those who exercise are recognized as rulers of the gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them. In other words, Jesus is saying in the world's thinking, to be someone, to be someone great, to be recognized, one is to pursue prestige and to exercise that power and position by having other people ultimately serve you. This is the sign of success according to the world, according to the Gentiles. And yet, as we'll come to see for believers, position and power and prestige is never to be the goal. Beloved, the scriptures place a great emphasis upon the godly being servant leaders, to be servant-minded, and Jesus is seen as the crown jewel of servanthood. He is the ultimate servant leader. The problem is that we forget this picture of Jesus' life as needing to be the goal or intention of our own lives. This is what we are to be striving for. Rather than looking to Jesus and his example, the church has preferred to receive her directives from worldly success stories. We have become so used to the world's philosophy that it is nearly second nature for us to accept the practice, such practices of the world's philosophy in the church rather than Christ's philosophy. For believers, from the elders to the deacons, to everyone who professes to know Christ, here's what Jesus said in essence. If you want to be great in the eyes of God, which that ultimately is all that matters. If you want to be great, if you want to be recognized as being someone and who should you want to be recognized by the god of heaven if you want to be recognized or regarded as purposeful in the eternal purposes of god then what did jesus say is to be the goal we'll drop down for a moment to verse 43 and we learn that we must become what we must become a servant we must become a servant verse 43 now, the word for, uh, word for uh, servant in verse 43 is the Greek word diakonos. We get our word deacon from that. Let me tell you today, we do have some deacons. There's a to, uh, an office of deacon. We have deacons. But ultimately, all of you in this room, if you profess to know Jesus Christ, are to be deacons with a little d. You are to be servants. That's what we translate this word. Jesus says followers are to become deacons. Followers are to be ministers or servants of the Lord. In the church, there is to be no spiritual aristocracy. There's no one that's better than anyone else in a a congregation. It is not a top-down flow chart with the pastor on the top, followed by the elders, followed by the deacons, and then there's all the rest of the peons out there. That's not the way God has designed that. We are to be fellow servants. We are all to be deacons. I am a deacon with you, that little d deacon. We are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And just in case we want to try to wash down what it means to be a servant, Jesus is not content with simply saying, you all, there be a servant. He goes next, if you'll just notice, and I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but in verse 44, he says, not only are you going to be a servant, but you're going to be, if you're going to be anybody, the slave of all. That's the Greek word doulos, and it means slave. It means one in bondage, in debt to another. That's the whole idea, one bound to the master. And here, who is the master in this case? The Lord Jesus Christ and then in verse forty-five to seal the deal, after saying you will be a servant, you will be a slave, you will be a, de- a, a deacon, you'll be a doulos, a diakonos, and a doulos. Look at verse forty-five, and Jesus seals the deal where he says, "The very Son of Man, the one who deserves power and prestige and glory, and deserves to be served rather than demonstrating, uh, rather than demonstrating that kind of attitude demonstrated what servant." Hood, even to the point of death on a cross. The believer's motto might well be stated by the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul declared this, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord. And ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. If you want to start off a year correctly, you want to start off any day correctly, preach this verse to yourself. It's not about me, it's about Christ. I will proclaim him and not myself. It's not ultimately about my wants and my desires. It's about Christ and his desires. We do not promote ourselves. We're not to promote our agendas, our wills, but rather the will of Christ. And we need to stop confusing the world's terms and thinkings with that which the Bible teaches about true service and leadership. The world looks for natural abilities. But the scriptures speak of spiritual giftedness. Two different things. You can have a great natural ability, there can be great speakers, but they have no business, because they're not gifted spiritually, to stand in a pulpit and proclaim the word of God. The world is about CEOs and the like, yet the Bible focuses on being shepherds. The world hails executives, but the scripture looks for servants. And too often, churches can long to look like some mega corporation rather than to long to be ministry-minded, servant-driven ministries. What the church has no need for are strong natural leaders. Rather, she needs strong servant leaders with an army of servants doing the work of ministry. Beloved, is it possible that we have far more of a Catholic mindset than we would like to admit? By Catholic, I refer to the artificial and unbiblical divisions that we make between the pastorate and the people, between the leadership of the church and the responsibilities of the congregation to serve. May I remind you that each one of us is called to be a minister regardless of whether that Uh, that is with a capital M minister or a little m minister. The church is pictured as a body. Uh, It is pictured as a body in Ephesians chapter 4 and it is a body from which every part, Paul says, from the very seemingly smallest and most insignificant to the very most prominent parts all must do what? They all must work. There's no escape in the body of Christ. You can't say I don't have anything because if you say I don't have anything, it means you don't have Christ. If you say I don't have anything, it means that the spirit of Christ is not within you because the spirit indwells his people and gifts them, no matter how seemingly small or insignificant, to aid for the common good of the body of Christ. Let me show you from Ephesians chapter 4 verses 15 and 16, let you see this for yourselves. Paul writes, but speaking the truth in love, Now, uh, let me add a little bit of southern drawl in here. Y'all, it's not just we, it's like every individual. Y'all are to grow up in all aspects into him. Every single one of you has a responsibility as a believer to grow up. In every aspect, every conception of him, Christ, who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body is being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Wow. If you are here this morning, you have a responsibility. You must be engaged. To not be engaged is sin because it's not being who God has called you to be in the body of Christ. What is the ambition of the church it is to see that we are being fitted and held together by what each one of us brings to the table as it were as each individual part it says that would be each one of you who professes to know Jesus Christ strives to be working properly. And so as we begin a new year, let me ask you this question, are you working properly? Are you working properly? One of my granddaughters received a little battery-operated blow-dryer for Christmas. She spent a lot of time with the ladies, putting them on these little chairs so she could actually reach their hair, and she would blow-dry their hair, and she was having the greatest time. This you know, had a little light in it, and the fan worked and all of that. And then all of a sudden, that thing stopped working. Tragedy. I mean... Of course, at the time, she... Uh, that this happened, she came to me with the non-functioning toy. I figured it was the battery that had simply run down, so I replaced the battery, and guess what? Didn't work. Now we have a dilemma. Of course, this devastated my granddaughter. She had many other working parts of her fantasy salon, but this was like the integral part. You can't do anything without a working blow dryer. So I took it apart, and I moved some wires around, and I got it working. Now, it took her mother and me both because we needed like four hands to put it back together, but we got it back together, and my granddaughter was delighted, and she went back to blowing people's hair dry. So if you can talk to her if you want to uh, use that service. But she was delighted when that was working again. Beloved, we ought to be delighted when the church is working properly. It ought to be devastating to us when one of the parts is not working correctly. And it may be that it's the elders or may, uh, some, uh, uh, a Bible study group that comes alongside and helps fix that. But we need to be delighted when everything's working. And when it's not, we need to do what we can to get it working properly. And so I ask you, are you working properly? And rather than for hair, what are we to be working for? What is it that you and I should be working for if we would be these servant ministers For the church, the goal is mentioned in verse 16. Each of us is to be one that causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You need to be able to say, "I am contributing to the growth of the body by the by the use of the spiritual gift or gifts that God has given me." Now, that's all abstract, isn't it? Like I have no idea what that means. That's just out there. God's given me gifts, and I'm supposed to use them, and and how am I supposed to know? Well, I'm getting there. Beloved, ministry is intentional. We need to love God, love his word, love his people, and love to speak out and demonstrate the love of God to a world in need. The intention for the body of Christ was never to have one person or a handful of people do the work of ministry. In fact, if you think for a moment that it's the pastor that ought to do the work of the ministry, you're not biblical at all. If you think it's the elders that are to do the work of ministry, you're not biblical in your thinking. Ministry is a team effort that requires a servant's heart, and that's a servant heart from everyone who professes to know Jesus Christ in that given body. The Lord intentionally has given to us wonderfully and uniquely gifted people to serve one another. And let us never forget that one of the most simply stated purposes of the church is found a few verses before this in Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. Look at that with me. Where we read, and he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Why did he give all of those people those gifts? For the equipping of the rest of y'all. That's the long definition of saints. For the equipping of the saints... To do what? The work of service or the work of ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. And I had to stop and think, okay, we use this all the time. The work of ministry, the work of service. What is that? What does that mean for you this morning? What ought to be stirring your heart as you think about, I'm supposed to be equipped for the work of service. Well, what is that? What is the work of service? Beloved, in large part... Not exclusively, but in large part, the work of service is every individual member practicing the one another's with one another. You say, well, now you've lost me. What are the one another's? You know, there's some 59, 60 one another's in the New Testament. I'm going to give you an example, and you're going to do a little uh, – we're not going to do sword drills. I'm not going to have you stand up, but I need you to turn to some passages, and I want you to see just a handful of one another's, and I want to put them the context, and I want you to realize that this is the work of ministry when you do these one another's. This is your responsibility. It's mine too as a member of the church, but this is our responsibility. So turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to try to – there's a lot more than, than what we're going to look at. I'm trying to find the ones that are all bunched up together so we're not spending all of our time running to and fro in these verses. Romans chapter 12, and I want to point out a couple of verses for you. These are one another's. Now, Romans 12 is to the church, to the church at Rome. It's not to the the pastors at Rome or the elders at Rome or to the deacons at Rome. It's to the church, every individual. What does it say in Romans chapter 12 beginning in verse 10? We read this, be, y'all, be devoted to one another. There should be a devotion that you feel towards one another. That's the work of ministry. You should feel a delight and a commitment to one another. He goes on, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference, show deference to one another in honor. How do I know if I'm engaged in the work of ministry? Well, for one thing, are you devoted to one to the body do you love the body of christ if you don't have that that's where you need to pray and start god give me a love for these people with whom i worship you and then you're to show deference because sometimes there's going to be things that you would do differently that you might like to experience differently but you would show deference to one another you give honor to other people in their particular desires let's let's uh go to verse 16. Uh, He says in verse 16, be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Be of the same mind. Seek to be on the same page. Don't try to, to, uh, uh, you know, say, I'm just going to uh, run off and do my own thing. Turn over to chapter 13. Chapter 13 and verse 8. There's probably better examples than this one. I'm going to try to keep us tight in, in a few uh, books here. Verse 8, owe nothing to anyone except to what? Love one another. So there's that again. Turn over to chapter 15 and verse 7, just very quickly. Chapter 15 and verse 7, therefore accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. You're, you're not to shun anybody, you are to accept and receive one another, and then down in verse 14, notice what it says there, it says, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to, what does it say, admonish, you all are able to admonish, you are able to teach and instruct one another, not in the sense of being a preacher teacher, but you can give Biblical advice is you're reading from the Word of God. You should be doing that with one another. Turn over to Galatians chapter five. Told you we're going to do some jumping here. Nobody jump up though and say I got it. Galatians five thirteen. Again, the book Galatians written to the churches of Galatia, not to the pastors and the elders and and. In just the leadership, it's everyone in the body in those churches in Galatia. What does it say in 5.13? It says this, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. How do I know if I'm doing the work of ministry? Are you serving? Are you loving? Are you devoted to to one another? Look at chapter 6, verse 2. Galatians 6, verse 2. It says what? Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Have you come alongside someone and actually help them bear a burden that they could not on their own? I praise God that as I say this, I can look across this room and say I have seen examples of this. And where I see this, I say to you what? Can I borrow from 2022? Excel still more. But if you're not experiencing this, this is where you begin. Let me try. I got a few more. I'm telling you, there's a lot that we could cover. Ephesians chapter 4, if you would look at that with me. Ephesians 4, a couple of pages over, I believe, for most of you. Notice what it says in verse 2 with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing, oh, here's a good one tolerance for one another in love. When you are not tolerant with another brother or sister in Christ, you have failed in this. Work of ministry. You are receiving the word from of God from the pulpit and from our Bible studies so that you can do these things, that you can show tolerance, that you can, if I can kind of use uh, this crude vernacular for it, that you can uh, put up with someone else, that you can tolerate them. And then uh, look also in chapter 4, verse 32, at the end of the chapter. How about this one? be kind to one another be kind to one another tender hearted and also be forgiving each other just as god in christ also has forgiven you there is to be forgiveness that is experienced within the body now that implies something it means that we're going to mess up sometimes we're going to sin against one another whenever you get to a couple of sinners in a room together what are you going to do you're going to sin against one another but do we actually? What's the work of ministry? I need to be a practicer of forgiving, which also means I need to be a practicer of saying, "Hey, I'm sorry, I messed up. Would you forgive me?" Right? That's the work of ministry. Okay, I'm. I'm. I. I, I don't know. I have so many. I gotta go. First Peter. Go. Let's go to First Peter. I've got some in Hebrews, and uh, this was all uh, stuff that I wanted to share uh, this this morning. It was it was on my heart. Uh, First Peter chapter three. I'll I'll end with this here, First Peter three eight. Notice what it says there. To sum up, all of you, who are these? Who's the all of you? The elders, the pastor, uh, pastor? No, the church. All of you. The sum up. Here's. Here's the grand equation. All of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you all were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. But did you catch that? All of you be harmonious, sympathetically, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Look at chapter 4, verse 8. I love this one. Verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. There's another one another. That is your ministry. Your, what is my ministry? I have to have a fervent love. for. It's not just that I love those who with whom I'm worshiping. I have a fervent love for them. How many of you need to work on that? You see, this is the work of ministry. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Then here's this one. Be hospitable to one another. Without complaint, have you had people in your home? Do you go out and and treat somebody for lunch or for coffee? Be hospitable. This is not the function merely of a few in the church. What I'm reading is that this is what Jesus has said. If you want to be great, if you want to be one who's recognized by God and received by God, then be the servant of all, the slave of all. And this is what it will look like. Uh, It says in verse 10, and keep going, chapter 4, verse 10, uh, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving who? One another. Are you using a spiritual gift that God has given you to serve this body? If you're not, you're falling short. Jesus said your goal is to be the servant and slave of all. And uh, chapter five, verse five. Since we're in First Peter, I'll give you this one: You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you, y'all, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Regard someone else as 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 important or more important than yourself. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to have you turn there, but five times in First John, what, 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 what one do you think you're going to find in First John that John says five times? Love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. And if you haven't heard the message yet, love one another. Okay, that's the work of ministry. That's just part of what we would include. But so now I simply ask you, how is your work of service? How are you doing with those things? On Thursday night, I'll supply you a list of all of those one another so you can work on those. But for now, is your mindset that I need to be like this, that our church needs to be servant-driven, driven driven by a desire to serve Christ and serve his people? The Lord has given pastors and teachers and leaders to equip the church uh, with the truth and with the principles of this so that you might do these very things. And, of course, more than that. And you do them to who? To one another. Jesus Christ did not come to be served. Who is he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. But to serve. I'm here to serve you. If we would follow in the image of Christ, we would say, I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve you. We need to develop that kind of mindset. And the problem is, this is where we began, the problem is that's antithetical to our flesh. And it's antithetical to the world's philosophy. And it's antithetical to what Satan propagates. But it's what God has called us to. So identify the problem. But it leads us to our second point, And that's the paradox. As we have alluded to and even noted, there's a paradox in the statement found in our text. There's something seemingly out of step in the conventional thinking by, by what it means to be somebody, to be someone great. How can anyone be great, the, saying, the thought would be? How can anyone be great if he or she is a servant? Servants aren't great. But what did Jesus do? He served. Was Jesus great? Yeah, so here's this paradox. And so in beginning in verse 43, Jesus says, but it is not this way among you. This is not what my church will look like. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. According to the words of Jesus, to be somebody and someone begins first by being a follower, a follower of Jesus, To be a servant minister is not a title, it is a way of life. It is the way we simply should live out our Christianity. If we could reword the statement of Jesus in Mark 10, verses 43 and 44, we would say that the way up is by the way down in God's economy. The one who loves the truth of God's word and practices the truth of God's word seeks to descend, not ascend. He seeks humility, not arrogance. Too often we are focused on climbing up the so-called ladder, are we not? And sometimes it's nothing more than a step ladder that we fail to come down the ladder at all in order to serve anyone else in the church the more authority the more giftedness the more natural ability a person has i say to you that can actually become a stumbling block to you because you're depending upon yourself and what you can do rather than what god intends to do through you beloved the flesh is a menace to servant ministry it's this meism stuff this this it's an idol You and I are idols. When we talk about idol making, you know that your greatest idol is the one you'd see in the mirror. We want it done for us. We want it done our way. We want it done for our convenience. But Jesus said, this is not the way. This is not the way. Without a doubt, Jesus defined servanthood here in our text, and specifically on what it means to be a servant leader. And at this point in the Gospel of Mark, it's interesting, Jesus had made three predictions about his coming crucifixion, about his coming death, his sacrifice for them. In Mark 10, 32 and 30, through 34, which we didn't read, it's just before our text, we're going to read them now. This was the third of these three. Jesus uh, uh, It says there in verse 32, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful, and again he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen, saying, Behold, we are all going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit on him, and scourge him, and kill him, and three days later will rise again that's what Jesus had just finished telling them before I read to you our text Jesus said I'm going to die just as it's been said I am going to give my life for you here come James and John and they ask an inappropriate question talk about it it would be a bad question time, but it's like the worst time they could have asked the question your messiah just said i'm dying are you going to make us great but that question still being asked today as they looked at jesus their mess- messianic expectation was of a stunning sovereign who would come and overturn israel's enemies they did not see a suffering servant that came to die in their place. And it is not as if they're thinking is completely wrong, at least in the sense that Messiah is predicted to come one day and overturn the nations. But what was the issue here is that they had a personal ambition to reign and to rule, and they thought they could just ask Messiah to do it, and they were misinformed. Their problem was with their own desires. They revealed that they were self-centered and that they were self-focused when they should have been others-centered. And isn't that what Jesus has ripped right out of them? You're all focused on what you want. Let me tell you, you should be focused on what others need. They define greatness in power and position and in being served. And Jesus comes and corrects their concept of greatness by saying, again, the way to the top is through the bottom. The way of greatness is found in humble service not in being served this is to be the way of the followers of christ simple so if you are not humbly serving others then you are not following christ as you ought that's the only conclusion who is the great one who is the one being admired for his preaching or the one uh, 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 who's the great one the one who's admired for his preaching or is the one who's fixing the toilet quietly quietly in the Who is the great one, the one who rushes through the food line to load up his or her plate or the one that helps others get their food? Yeah, I know we're having pot providence. I just ruined it for you. Who is the great one, the one adept at keeping his or her schedule or the one who takes time out of his or her schedule in order to help someone else, to clean the church, to take a meal to a shut-in, or to participate in some other ministry of the church? I hope you know what the answer is. All of that. This is the example Christ gave us. He spent his life in ministry for the goal of serving others, with the cross. The cross being the very pinnacle, the very ultimate of his service and sacrifice. The Apostle Paul seemingly alludes to this; these very words in Mark ten, in his farewell address to the Ephesian elders, in Acts twenty, verse thirty-five. The Apostle Paul says to these church leaders. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to serve than to be served. God's expectation for his church, for us as his children, for the leaders, for everyone who in the congregation at large is selfless servanthood. When Jesus calls his followers to be both a diakonos, a deacon, and a doulos, a slave, that is, servant ministers and slaves, notice that there are no qualifiers given. There there are no exceptions by which you can say, well, that doesn't count for me. I don't have to do that. Jesus did not say that we are to be selfless servants only when it is convenient. Or if it fits our schedule, or as long as it doesn't interfere with my schoolwork, or my my job, or my recreation. He does not say we are exempt if such service does not seem to fit our own personality. Or if the people we are working with, how about this one, they're difficult, Lord. Yeah, I started it. Deal with it. We must be a people who serve, who serve one another, and then, by extension, other believers and unbelievers as we have opportunity. In short, to be a Christian is to serve, and to not serve is a sin. End of story. That sin needs to be repented of, confessed, repented of. If you are not engaged in service to one another, you will not be effective in the gospel. At the same time, let me say that each of us are called and will serve at different levels. Not everyone is to be a pastor, is to be a teacher. Not all will be public. Some will be better at showing mercy. Some will be better at speaking the truth in love. But we all must be serving. We must long to be the church of 900 ministers, not 900 self-centered, self-serving ingrates that seek others to serve us. This is the paradox that the great ones in the eyes of God are those who sacrificially serve others. And that brings us to the final point, the plan in verses 43 through 45. Again, Jesus says, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So how do we do this? What's the plan, Jesus? Where do we go from here? How do we get there? How do we pursue being servant-driven as opposed to self-driven? Jesus makes it simple. Start serving one another. Think today, how might I serve someone else in this body? Be servant-driven. Serve others. Start doing these things for one another that point people to the person and work of Christ. Regard yourself as a servant and slave, realizing that whatever you do unto the least of the brethren, Jesus said, you actually do unto to me. Let me offer you what this might look like, some suggestions and observations. Some are just reiterations of what we've learned. Some will be new. Notice the plan is outlined by Jesus all begins with having the right desire. Do you have the right desire? Notice the right desire. Jesus says, whoever wishes to become great. He doesn't condemn the idea of wanting to be great. He's just trying to focus on what does that mean? What kind of greatness should you be pursuing? Because he says you can be great, but you'd be great by being a servant and a slave. So greatness, as the way God intended, says, I will be a servant. Do you desire to be a servant? What do you desire from God in 2023? Do you long to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful slave? Enter into the joy of your master. And notice that the first, the the one who's first in God's eyes, require that uh, you do not long to be first. You actually long to be the slave of all. Firstness comes by being the slave of all. You cannot hear God say, well done, if you are not his servant and his slave. And then I'd have you notice that such an attitude is one of sacrifice, even costly sacrifice. Jesus goes on to present himself as the ultimate example of serving others. Again, in verse 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The service of Jesus cost him his life. Your service should be sacrificial. Of course, this is the foundation of what we call the gospel, right? Or the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ, that he lived the life that we should have lived, and he died the death that we should have died on the cross. That three days later, he rose from the dead, just as he said, proving himself to be the Son of God and offering the gift of, of forgiveness for sins and eternal life to all who by faith repent of their sins and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What will all of this look like as we seek to serve one another? First, again, we must be a people who learn and live out the truth. Your goal should be, Lord, let me learn and live out the truth beloved we must not think uh, uh, we must think right before we can ever act right never forget that thinking biblically must come before acting biblically it must be our desire to see each one of us thinking rightly about our duty and our privilege of being fellow servants the more we all strive to become like Christ the more we all will become what servants To that end, we must be imparting God's truth to one another's minds. What kind of truth are we talking about? I'm glad you asked. Let me share two things with you as we try to bring this to an end. We must be, first of all, others-minded. What does Philippians 2, 2 through 4 say? Uh, Three through four say, it says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. What does true servanthood look like? It's others-minded. You're thinking about others. And how do we become others-minded? It means humility because I'm not going to think about myself first. I'm going to see what I can do for others. I heard someone say that humility is the oil that makes the intersecting gears of human personality turn without grinding. If we are to be servants, our own self-interests become secondary, not primary. A servant's mind wants to work with a team to get everyone going in the same direction, not just to say, you're going to go my direction. And that direction is always others-oriented. We must be unified on being others-oriented. It is the application, I believe, of what we heard John the Baptist say when he said, I must decrease and he must increase. It's taking that to a congregational level. Beloved, what will diminish a church more quickly than anything else is self-preoccupation and even a sense of self-preservation rather than a focus on others. I have my problems. I have my hurts. I have my woes. I have my my pressures and my burdens, but the best way for me to get through those is to think about how I might help someone else get through their issues and their problems because in serving others that way, God meets my needs as well well Paul said do nothing the focus is on self do nothing here is the case in which we can actually be do-nothings you're such a do-nothing well you get to be a do-nothing in 2023 if you say I will do nothing from selfish ambition empty conceit but nowhere else don't get to do that anywhere else Nothing we think or do is to be free, is to be from the motive or desire of self-centeredness. How much of church and ministry and even service to others, both within and without the church, can reek of self-centeredness and self-focus? Nothing. Is to be thought or done of in this manner. Second, we are to not only to be selfless; we are to not crave our own honor or glory. What Paul calls empty conceit in here. The servant-driven church means that the people are passionate about giving to one another, even if it diminishes themselves. That's the humility of mind. To have that mentality of a slave regarding, uh, meaning to regard yourself, regard others as there to serve. But it puts me down; it makes me lower. That's what raises you up in the eyes of God. We should be racing for that. And finally, we read that each and every one of us is to be uh, is to regard others more important than ourselves. So, if you like math, here you go: calculate your service and your motive to, and your motive to service. And if we understand our depravity, if we see ourselves as pitiful rather than a somebody then overinflated thinking always becomes deflated. However, to be servants like this is not simply about putting ourselves down in humility. The idea of humility is not putting yourself down. If you leave here with that mentality, that's not what I'm preaching. Do not put yourself down. That's not humility. Let me tell you what humility is, beloved. It is putting others up. It is lifting others up. That's humility. I'm not wanting you to put yourself down. You lift others up. Who are you lifting up? Who are you coming alongside and lifting up in the things of the Lord? This is what we see in verse 4 when Paul says we are to look out for the interest of others, meaning we fix our attention, our focus on the needs of those around us. Beloved, a servant-driven church is made up of a people who purpose to see beyond themselves and become preoccupied in and with the needs and interests of of others. We are called to be others minded. Well, I've let us strive to be a servant driven church and to do this begins with us looking at ourselves and asking ourselves a couple of questions. How do I serve the body of Christ? Where do I serve the body of Christ? Why do I serve the body of Christ? And am I really serving the body of Christ answer the first three and then make sure you're doing it for Christ may our individual prayers be summed up in the words of 1 Peter 4 10 that I read earlier as each one has received a special gift employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God Lord help us be a servant driven church to your glory and praise this is God's plan This is God's goal. He wants us to be great, but great in his eyes. He wants us to do extraordinary things, but for his glory. And it all begins by loving and knowing him and his plan through the preaching of his word, through the understanding of his word. So get reading. Get reading. You were were told about Bible reading plans. And uh, it's not right to put this right here in this moment, but there is a Bible reading plan on the website. You can go and get it. I just want to remind you of that before I forget. So you can start today, but get reading. And then as you read, say, God, help me do this right here amongst those with you've get, whom you've given me to worship with. I pray that we would be so equipped to do the work of ministry. I desire for each of you to be great according to God's standard of greatness. And as Jesus ended this statement, he said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We get to begin 2023 by remembering what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And I want you to remember what he has said in this particular passage, that we are to be servants and slaves of all, even as he demonstrated himself to be that for us and giving himself as our ransom, so that we might be brought, reconciled to God. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for the time in your word this morning. We thank you for the challenge of this text. We thank you that you've called us to be so much more than we can even imagine, so much more than what the world can even conceive, that you've called us to be great. You've called us to do extraordinary, but we need to do it your way. We need to do it by your power. We need to do it in ways that manifest and demonstrate uh, that reality to one another. So I pray, Lord, that you help us to do these things. Father, help us to truly examine how we are serving your church, how we are demonstrating that we are following the example of Christ. And, Father, we come now to the table, and we thank you for the privilege of remembering our Lord Jesus, remembering the sacrifice that was given by which we have now forgiveness of sin, remembering that he bore in his body uh, our sin so that we might be reconciled to God. And now, Father, we ask that we would continue in this mindset of worship, that we worship the Lord Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that he made. As we partake of the elements, I pray, Father God, that you would enable us to do so in a worthy manner, that we would rightly reflect and consider who it is that, Je- who Jesus truly is and what it is he truly accomplished for us. That we would not, uh, uh, that we would not forget to consider uh, our sin and to recognize that we are to confess our sin and to uh, understand the promise that you will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We desire Father God to remember the Lord Jesus this day and throughout this year to remember his example so that we might live according to that example. And so we thank you for the privilege of this time around your table. May it be again to your glory, we ask in Jesus' name.